I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. We're in the section of the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 8 and 9, that you might call Following Jesus the Miracle Worker. Because right after the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew tells us a whole bunch of stories about the amazing miracles that Jesus did and punctuates them, intersperses between these miracle stories with Jesus' calls to discipleship. Anybody remember what last week's sermon title was? Always a risk to to ask that question. Does anybody remember what? Follow me. That's exactly right, Charlie. Follow me. And you know that just about every sermon on every chapter in the Gospel of Matthew could have that title. Follow me. Jesus is constantly calling people to follow him. Now, he's going to say those exact same words again in our passage for today. In fact, he says it to a certain tax collector named Matthew. That's why our whole sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew was called Following Jesus. Because in Matthew, Jesus is constantly calling us to a life of discipleship, following him. And I don't mean like on Twitter. Do you follow Jesus? Like, do you see what he says? And then go off and do what, you're set, what you want to do? No, following Jesus means your whole life going in His train. Go where He goes. Do what He says to do. He is the Master. And we are His followers. Jesus is constantly showing us that He is wonderful and powerful and authoritative. With an authority unlike anyone else's. And Jesus uses that unparalleled authority to call us to follow Him. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus showed us that he has unparalleled authority over sickness. Who did he heal in Matthew chapter 8? You'll remember this better than the title. Who are some of the people that he healed? A leper. Peter's mother-in-law, right? The centurion's servant who who was paralyzed. All kinds of other diseases, right? They couldn't bring a disease to him that he couldn't heal. And then he showed us that he has unparalleled authority over all, all, over all of creation. Remember when he told the storm to settle down? And the storm was like, oops, sorry. Got all quiet. And then Jesus showed us in the last story we looked at at the end of chapter 8 that he has unparalleled authority even over the demonic. Even over unseen, unclean spirits. When he says go, they must go. And now in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus shows us that He has authority over our greatest problem. You know what our greatest problem is, right? This problem that we all have. This problem that we cannot solve on our own. A problem, it's the greatest problem for humanity. A greater problem than any other problem. And we got lots of problems. Let's pray together and then see how this unrolls. Father, thank you for all we've seen this morning, all we've said this morning, all we've sung this morning. We have sung glorious truth about the gospel. I pray that we now see it with fresh eyes here in Matthew chapter 9. Help us to see this, this Jesus who has unparalleled authority and how he uses it to call us to follow him. Help us to see it, Lord, and to feel it and to know it. Change us, Lord. Maybe just a little bit of a course correction to keep us on our true path. Or maybe a big change. 180 degrees. Lord, cause us, call us to repent. 
and follow. We pray in the name of this Jesus. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. You have it? Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. At this point in his life, that is Capernaum. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. Now stop there for just a second. Matthew has condensed this story. Mark and Luke give us a lot more details. Matthew's like, I just want to give you the point, okay? In Mark and Luke, we find out that these men who brought this paralytic to him actually dug through a roof and elevated, elevated, is that a word? It is now. Elevated this guy down on these ropes down in front of Jesus into the house that he was staying. They were desperate to get this man to Jesus. But Matthew focuses on the essential detail here. This man can't walk on his own. He must be brought on a mat. What do you think Jesus is going to do? I mean, we've been reading Matthew chapter 8. and We've seen how he acts, right? We've seen what he does. We've seen his power. What do you think he's going to do? Can you imagine what this man's life was like? Now, he might not have been a leper ostracized from society, but there are no wheelchairs in that society either. There are no elevators except the elevatoring of your friends in that society. There are very few accommodations for handicaps in that society in that time period. This man could not get anywhere on his own. What do you think Jesus is going to do? He's going to solve this man's greatest problem. Ready? Verse 2. When Jesus saw their faith, the man and his friends, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? Is that what you thought he was going to do? From what we've read so far in Matthew, especially chapter 8, that's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? I would have thought that Jesus would have healed this guy. Right? I mean, he's going to get up and walk, isn't he? Isn't he going to run around and be like, like Peter's mother-in-law? Remember when she was healed, she had the high fever. Jesus healed her and then she got up and made dinner. She felt so good. He's still lying there. I mean, it doesn't say anything about this guy asking for forgiveness. That's not why they've come to Jesus. At least I don't think so. They came for the healing. But Jesus goes for something much deeper, doesn't he? Jesus indicates that he is solving a deeper problem, the deepest problem. Not just sickness, but the root cause of all sickness in the world. Sin. Not that every sickness is caused by a particular sin. He's not even necessarily saying that this sickness was caused by a particular sin. Right? That's not how it works. But there is sickness in the world because there's sin in the world. We broke the world, and so therefore we are broken. But his greatest problem wasn't his lameness. It was his sin. So Jesus says, take heart, son, Your sins are forgiven. Don't miss that. Now what Jesus does say creates a conflict with the religious authorities. They are not happy about this at all. Look at verse 3. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, 
this man is blaspheming. Why are they so upset? What does it mean to blaspheme? It means to say something utterly untrue about God. Okay? That's what blaspheming is. It's saying something that's just utterly untrue about God. So you can blaspheme by saying God is the same as the devil. Or you could blaspheme by saying, you are the same as God. If you aren't, that's blaspheming. That's blasphemy. That's what they think Jesus is saying. He's saying he's the same thing as God. Why why do they think that? Because who can forgive sins but God alone? Just, Just think about that for a second. Jesus is not saying, God forgives your sin. That's not what he said. If he said that, and he said, you know, go to, the, go to the temple and do some sacrifices and trust God, he'll forgive your sin. He's not saying that. He's saying, I forgive your sin. And we know that's what he's saying because the scribes knew it. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. That's why they got upset. Do you, do you see the principle? Do you see how this works? It's like, Rob, it's like I went out in the parking lot. What do you have out there? A truck today? What is it? A, it's a Chevy. All right. Let's say I went out today and I stole Rob's Chevy. Okay? I drove, I, I hotwired it. Can you imagine Pastor Matt hotwiring a car? All right? I hotwired it and I drove off with it and I hid it in my secret lair. Okay? And then, and everybody heard about this. And then Jane Catanzaro came up to me. And she said, Pastor Matt, I heard you stole Rob's car. I forgive you. (laughs) Thank you, Jane. I feel so forgiven. This is wonderful. Now, Rob hasn't forgiven me yet, but Jane has. Why why would that be scandalous for her to say, I forgive you? Because I haven't sinned against her, right? I sinned against him. And Jesus is saying to this man, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. See, our sin is first and foremost, whatever our sins, even when we sin against one another, our sin is first and foremost against God. So when he's going around and saying, I forgive you, he's claiming to be God. The other title that we could give this sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew is, Who Does He Think He Is? Right? I mean, that's what they said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Who does he think he is? I can't imagine what he's preaching with such authority. Verse 4. Knowing their thoughts. There's some supernatural activity. Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? What's the answer to that one? Which one is easier to say? It's actually easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because who can tell if it's happened or not? Right? Okay, great. I don't feel any different, but if you say so. It's harder to do. Only God can actually do it. But it's easier to say. It's hard to say get up and walk to a lame man because what if they don't get up and walk? That was no good. Verse 6. But 
so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to solve your greatest problem, to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. (laughs) Wow. You see what happened there? Jesus said the harder thing to say to prove that he could do the harder thing to do. And the man got up and went home. Imagine how that guy felt now. You know, just, he's walking. He hasn't walked in we don't know how long. And he's walking home. And we think, oh, wouldn't that be amazing? But at the same time, in his head, he's saying, if he could do that, and he says my sins are forgiven, then something much greater has just happened to me. I've been forgiven by God. Wow. I only have two points this morning. Here's number one. It's very simple. Jesus can forgive sins. Look at verse 6 again. The Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite name for Himself. The Son of Man has authority on earth, not just over creation, not just over the demons, not just over disease, but He has authority on earth to forgive sins. That is such good news. Because that's our greatest problem. Let me give you two simple questions for applying this first point. Two questions to ask yourself now that we know that Jesus doesn't just have the authority to change the weather or to send demons into pigs, but that Jesus has the authority himself to actually forgive our sins. First, have you come to Jesus for that forgiveness? Because he's where it's at. You can't get forgiveness anywhere else. You can search high and low. You can try everything out there and you will come up short. Church attendance, doing good works, doing penance, trying to repay those you've sinned against, pretending that you haven't sinned. Anything and everything you try outside of Jesus will not work. But Jesus can forgive your sins. We know how he can do that too, don't we? Because we know the end of this book. We know the end of Matthew where the Son of Man was crucified, where He paid for our sins with His blood. These sins are forgiven because they're going to be paid for. When He says, your sins are forgiven, He knows what He's saying. He he knows somebody's got to pay for those sins. And He knows He's going to. Think about that. There's no glib thing for Him to say, your sins are forgiven, take heart, son. He's also saying, I will go to the cross for you. That's what this table down here represents. The ultimate sacrifice so that he can say, your sins are forgiven. The debt is paid. It is finished, we sang this morning. Now, if they had had hard hearts, he might have healed the man, but he wouldn't have said, your sins are forgiven. It's because he sees they have faith, right? Verse 2, when Jesus saw their faith. The only people who have this kind of forgiveness are those who have come to Jesus and put their faith and trust in him. So what about you? 
Have you come to Jesus for the solving of your greatest problem? So many have asked Jesus for much lesser things. Our bulletin and our prayer requests this morning were full of lesser things. We're supposed to pray for them, right? Jesus cares about them. We should take them to him. But we should not mistake our prayer requests for health and healing for our prayer requests for our greatest problem. Do we see our sin? Do we see how much we need to be saved from our sin? Have you come to Jesus for forgiveness? And secondly, are you worshiping Him as God? Because that's the real point of this story, isn't it? We know who Jesus is. He claims to forgive sins and He proves that He can do it by healing sicknesses. Verse 8, When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. Hmm. You know, I'm not so sure about that last phrase. It's good that they praised God. We should worship God. We should be doing that. We should praise God for every good gift He gives us. But my read on the end of verse 8 is that they intentionally missed the point of this story. They couldn't ignore the miracle. They were astonished. Wow, praise God! But they didn't worship Jesus as God. They didn't follow the logic. They didn't want to go all the way there. The people of Capernaum are kind of famous for not believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He grew up there, right? He grew up around Capernaum, Nazareth, and all that area. They're like, that's eh, just the carpenter's son, right? He can't be all that. They can't argue with the miracle, but let's just praise God that he does this stuff. Let's not get too serious about Jesus. They had all the facts, they had all the evidence. But they didn't trust Jesus. They didn't follow Jesus. They didn't accept Jesus. And by and large, they didn't worship Him as God. Let's not make that mistake too. Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He is God in the flesh. And He invites us to worship Him. Because He has come to solve our greatest problem. Point number two of only two about Jesus. Jesus came for sinners. That's the whole reason he came. He came to solve our greatest problem. Look at verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. What a great name. Sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now we read that and we're like, okay, cool. Sounds good. We do not get how scandalous that was. We do not get how everybody would have been like, what? Because as much as we don't like taxes, I mean, raise your hand if you like taxes. Yeah, I didn't think so. We don't have tax collectors like these guys. They were kind of like the mafia. They were extortionists. They were in bed with the Romans. See, the Romans wanted taxes from the people. The people had no choice because the Romans had the power. They had the weapons. They had the overwhelming power, the military force, the soldiers everywhere. And they might have paid as much as 40% of their income, as small as it was, in taxes. And then these guys were contracted with the Romans to collect the taxes, right? So they were given the authority. They had the swords. They had the 
the enforcers. They had what it took to shake down the citizens for as much as they could do. Okay, so let's say you owe $10 in taxes. Matthew comes along and he says, that'll be 50 bucks, please. And you're like, but, but, but I only owe 10 He says, you owe what I say you owe. Open up your pockets. Let's see how much you got there. Well, I only have this. All right, well, that'll be good enough for today. Put it on the table. That's the business Matthew was in. Okay? Whenever, you, whenever you read the word tax collector, under your breath you should say, boo, hiss, despised, right? These guys were traitors. They were, they were Jews, but they were getting rich working for the oppressive enemy. They were getting rich off of you by being traitors, right? Like Benedict Arnold now rules, right? In fact, you're supposed to give your money to Benedict Arnold. Every time you see that guy, you're supposed to pay him. That's how you feel about him. And there's nothing you can do about it. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, I want you to come follow me, Matt. Come be my disciple. And even more amazingly, Matthew does. See, nobody saw that coming. The people Jesus picks to be on his team, that is crazy. And then you know what Matthew does? He throws a party. And he invites all of the lowlifes that he knows to come and meet Jesus. Look at verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, what a gathering, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So it's getting even more scandalous, right? Because you could say, okay, well, Matthew repents and and he gets on the Jesus road. Okay. But then Matthew says, I'm going to call all my friends from my old life and I'm going to throw a party and I want you to come, Jesus. And Jesus goes. He hangs out with them. A bunch of these extortionist traitors in one place. There's a whole bunch of tax collectors, right? It's a mafia meeting, right? They're pulling up in their rides and the guys in the black suits are getting out and they're looking around before the guys come in to dinner. And that's not all who's there. There's all these notorious sinners. The word sinners comes up again and again in this story, three times in four verses. This party has prostitutes at it. It's got pimps. It's got thieves. It's got gamblers. It's got gang members. It has drug dealers. It has thugs. It has those people you don't want your kids to hang out with. But Jesus is there. And he's eating with them. And it's scandalizing these Pharisees. We're going to see again and again that the scribes and the Pharisees are going to get madder and madder at Jesus until one day this conflict is going to come to a head. Verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they saw Jesus eating with these sinners, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I doubt they were at a, actually at Matthew's party. In, the way I envision it, they're sitting across the street with their, with their glasses, right? Or they're in the FBI van. They're watching the coming and the going, and they're like, did you see who went in there? Did you see who came out? And Jesus is in there. Ew. Ooh. Him too? Yuck. And they don't come to Jesus to talk about it. They come to his disciples, right? Because they're trying to shake the tree, see if anything falls out. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Where does he get this? 
that Jesus hears about it. He's like, I'm a teacher, am I? Okay, I got a lesson for you. Verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's really important. Don't miss it. Jesus is not condoning their sin. He's not like, oh, it's okay. Eh, no problem. I'm good with it. Jesus doesn't like their sin. He hates their sins. He knows that their sins are their what? Their greatest problem. Just because he's eating with them doesn't mean he's accepting their sin or approving of their sin. And they never thought he was. The sinners never thought, oh, I must be okay because Jesus is sitting here. They never thought that. He never gave off that vibe. But he has come for sinners. That's why he's there. Where else would he be? He uses this proverb, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. He's saying it's not those who think they're fine who who need a doctor, but those who know that they're sick. In this case, he's not talking about disease. He's talking about sin, sin sick. You have to know you're a sinner to get saved. For I have not come to call the so-called righteous, but sinners. That's the very reason why he came. Let me give you two Really quick application questions for this point about Jesus. First, have you begun to follow Him? Like Matthew, I mean. Matthew left his table. He, he left, I assume he left all that money on the table, right? He walked away from this life of extorting others to go follow Jesus who didn't even have a house. Okay, I'll go follow the homeless man. Now, what he kept, he used. He threw a party. But he walked away from all of that to follow Jesus. Tax collectors ate the best food. They stayed in the best hotels. They got the best service because they had the best money. Matthew left all of that because Jesus called him to follow him. And Jesus is saying the same thing to you and me. He's saying, follow me. Jesus has come all this way to find sinners and He wants to do something with us. He wants to to call sinners first to repentance and then to salvation and then to a life of discipleship. Is that you? Have you begun to follow Jesus? One last question. Are you seeking sinners as well? In other words, are you like Matthew or are you like the Pharisees? Matthew wanted his sinner friends to know Jesus, so he went after them and invited them to his party. But the Pharisees were, you know, too good for that. They were too pure for that. They would never eat with sinners. They would never eat with those people. Who are the those people in your mind, in your heart? Those people who nauseate you. Those people who are beneath you. Those people whom you love to complain about on social media. They don't have their act together. Those people. They don't act like you. 
They believe all the wrong things. They disgust you. In verse 13, Jesus quotes Hosea 6, 6. For the first time, he's going to do it again in chapter 12. He says, learn what this means. I desire mercy or love or grace. It's chesed in the original. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's God speaking there. God is looking for a heart of love, not just for outward obedience, not even for sacrifices and offerings. If you don't love others, if you don't have a heart like His heart, God is after those who do not deserve it. ISIS. Rapists. Drug dealers. You fill in the, you fill in the blank. Who you are just most prone to hate, God is after them to save them. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's good news for you and me. Because that's what we really are. But we have to own it. And we have to see that He didn't just come for us. He came for other sinners too. So what are we doing about it? Are we seeking out the sin sick as well and introducing them to the Savior? Or are we just congratulating ourselves for having cleaned up so nice? I think so often we misjudge whom Jesus is seeking. We think that otherwise nice people, clean people, respectable, there's a new word for you, respectable people are where it's at. Wouldn't it be nice if they were a Christian? I like them. Wouldn't it be great if they came to church and was a part of what we're doing here? But Jesus is going after the hard cases. He is. And by the way, that includes all of the nice, clean, respectable people who come to realize what their truly greatest problem is. But Jesus is going after the hard cases. He's not just a cushy doctor who's just doing routine checkups. Comes in with his white coat and it's clean all the time. And he just says, yep, you're doing good. Let's adjust your medicine a little bit. That's not what kind of doctor he is. He's an ER doctor with his sleeves rolled up and blood up to his elbows, saving the most desperate cases from the greatest problem. In fact, he is the doctor. This is where it goes off the rails. He is the doctor who takes on the sickness himself. He says, I'll just take your sickness and I'll put it on me. And now you're cured. And he dies in the process. That's what it says. That's what it means when he says, I'm not come to call the righteous. I've come to call the sinners. Would the men come forward? Let's go to this table. Because that's what this table is all about. It's a table where our sin meets His grace. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have had your greatest problem solved by what this table represents, you're invited to eat and drink with us today. If you are not yet a believer in Jesus, or if you don't know if you are, then don't eat and drink with us today. Just let these plates pass you by and talk to the Lord about this. Talk to the Lord about your greatest problem and His great solution in Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we like to think we're righteous, but we're not. Not on our own. No, we are sin sick. 
And we desperately need to be saved. And you've sent your son. We've sung about it all morning. We've just read about it. We know this. Jesus came for sinners. And he has the authority to forgive. Lord, I pray for anybody here who has not yet trusted Jesus. Come to him by faith. Begun to follow him and trust in what he did at the cross. That they would do so right now. They would turn away from their sin and trust in the Savior and have their greatest problem solved. And for all of us who have done that, we give you thanks. We worship you. We want to follow you. And we want to seek other sinners too. Would you do that in us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.